This podcast is a ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Trinity Baptist Church exists to exalt God in worship, to equip disciples, and to evangelize the lost. For more information about our church, just visit our website at trinity3e.org. I'd like to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word, please, and open it to Genesis chapter 18. This morning we'll be looking at verses 16 through 33. Genesis chapter 18 verses 16 through 33. As you're turning there, I just wanted just to give a word of praise. Emma has still been doing very well. Uh, for those of you that do not know our story, uh, Emma is my daughter, and six years ago was uh, stricken with a very rare neurological disorder. It was diagnosed as terminal. And here we are six years later, and she is showing improvements. They may be slow, but they're happening. And we give God the glory for that. So thank you for your continued prayers. And please, keep on, not trucking, but praying. Keep praying, please. We continue our series on Abraham, looking at the life of faith. We come to the last part of chapter 18, where our focus turns toward prayer. You'll notice in the bulletin, the title of this message is a conversation about grace and mercy. I could have equally as called it a prayer about justice and mercy. Because prayer is a conversation. And Abraham, being a friend of God, means that he converses with God and God converses with him. The amazing thing is that by faith in Jesus Christ, you and I are also considered friends of God. Hear the word of the Lord. And I'm going to read verses 16 through 21. And then we'll just kind of get an overview and refer back to verses 22 through 33. Remember, three visitors showed up at Abraham's tent in the heat of the day. Abraham followed the custom of that time, showed them hospitality. But it's very clear from the outset that these are not three ordinary strangers. What we find out from the very beginning is that two of them are angels. And one of them is the Lord himself in human form, a theophany. So now we pick up with verse 18, or 16, I'm sorry. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Now at this point, the men turn toward Sodom, but Abraham stays conversing with the Lord. And he begins in this prayer conversing and praying on behalf of Sodom. He says, Lord, basically, if there are 50 righteous in the city, this is verse 24, will you then sweep away the place and spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked. So the righteous fare is the wicked. 
far be that from you. Shall not the judge of the, all the earth do what is just? And God answers him. Verse 26, 26, if I find 50 in the city, I'll spare the whole place for their sake. And then Abraham begins this process of dialogue with the Lord. Okay, Lord, what if there's not 50? What if there's just 45? And once again, God says, I'll spare for 45. And it continues working down until we get all the way down to verse 32, where Abraham says, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He, that is God, answered, For the sake of ten I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. You know, we live in a world that is filled with communication. You think about how amazing it is that in just a second, we can receive information, emails from Tokyo, and send information back. I remind you, it's not always been like that. Go back to the early days of communication in our nation where to go from Missouri to California, it took 10 days at best on the Pony Express to get one letter. So it's amazing when we look at the scope and the speed with which communication takes place. But this morning I'd like to remind you that the greatest communication that can take place is not the the fast emails that go back and forth. The greatest communication that can take place is not the, the communication we can have with elected representatives and officials. No, the greatest communication that can take place is prayer. It's us talking with God. And I would remind you that prayer, as I said a few moments ago, is conversation. Prayer is talking and listening to God. And it's in this passage that prayer takes center stage. Because Abraham begins this dialogue with God about God's intentions to judge Sodom. And this conversation turns toward God's justice and mercy. And out of this, there are three things that I want us to see. One, the basis of prayer. I want us to understand the foundation we have to pray and to talk with God. Second thing is the importance of prayer. I want us to come back to recognize how vitally important it is that we pray. And then finally, the practice of prayer, to put it into practice. Verses 16 through 19 show us the basis of our prayer life. And it's summed up in two words. The basis of our prayers are formed by Revelation and relationship. Those two words form the basis of our prayers. Revelation and relationship. Let's start with the first. Notice that our God is a God who reveals himself. Now that's amazing in and of itself because God is so much higher than we are. Had God not chosen to reveal himself, you and I would know nothing of him. That's how great God is. But God in his mercy has chosen to let himself be known, first of all, in all of creation. That's called general revelation. That the trees, the birds, the grass, the waters all testify of the greatness of God Think about how amazing it is that God designed that two hydrogen atoms combined with one oxygen and we get water. Isn't that amazing? Can you do that? Anybody working with hydrogen at home? Our God did that to testify of his greatness. 
But you know, as great as general revelation is, it's still lacking in one way. It cannot tell us about the Savior. That's why God reveals himself specifically in Jesus Christ. He reveals himself specifically in Christ, in his life, death, and resurrection. And of course, we have testimony of this in the Scripture. God has revealed himself that we might know specifically who he is, that we might know that we need a Savior, and that he has provided that Savior. It is in this passage we see that God has revealed himself specifically to Abraham. He intends to destroy Sodom. And he doesn't hide this. Verse 17, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? God says, I'm not going to keep this a secret. Now, we are reminded that God is omnipresent, that God is everywhere and God is omniscient. He knows all things. So he knows that this is going to lead into a conversation with Abraham. And it's part of the reason why God reveals himself to Abraham in this way. It's not just for Abraham. It's for us. This is what I mean. Notice the rationale that God gives for revealing his plan to Abraham. Verse 18. Seeing that Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation. Verse 19. I've chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. Now, how do you keep the way of the Lord? In other words, how do you walk in a way pleasing to God? By doing righteousness and justice. That's Micah 6.8. What does the Lord require to you? To love mercy, to do justice, to act kindly. That's here. But now notice the pattern. Abraham's going to become this great nation, but that's going to start with his immediate family. So he's saying, I want Abraham to learn that there is blessing in keeping the way of the Lord. I want him to teach that to his children. And Sodom is going to serve as a reminder of what happens when a people reject God. So that's part of the reason he reveals to Abraham what is happening. Abraham, this is so crucial for you to understand who God is and how important it is to do justice, to do righteousness. Because when you reject the way of the Lord, God is just. So understand that what God is doing with Abraham here is he's setting the path that Abraham needs to go down by showing him, by teaching him what to do and what happens when you reject God. And to learn that lesson Early for his children. I started my brief basketball career. I say brief, just played through high school. When I was a little boy, about 10 or 11 years old at our local Athens YMCA. Now, I was a, I was a decent player, good player. But I remember one game specifically, dad had come to watch me play. Now, dad didn't always get to come on Saturday mornings. Many times he would be working. But this Saturday morning he was there. And for some reason... When the ref called a foul against me, I became angry and I slammed the basketball down with all the strength my 11-year-old arms could muster. And I got a technical foul. I want to tell you, on the ride home, Dad made sure that I would never get a technical foul in that manner ever again. And he reinforced his lesson, if you know what I mean, when we got to the house. What he was doing was taking a, a little boy and setting a path for that child to walk down. To say, this behavior is acceptable. This is not. By the way, I never got a technical foul again for slamming the basketball. That's what God's doing with Abraham. 
He is saying, this is the way to go. This is a lesson for Abraham and future generations. Keep this in mind. John 15, 15, Jesus said, No longer do I call you servants. The servant doesn't know what his master is doing. Jesus said, I have called you friends. For all I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Now, step back for a moment and think about that. Jesus said to the disciples, All that the Father's made known to me, I've made known to you. The context is talking about the cross and the resurrection. Jesus did not hide from the disciples his plan of redemption. So the reason I point that out is this, that as God reveals himself, he may not show us step by step how things will play out. God is not like this GPS where we type in our destination and he gives you step by step along the way. But what God has done is this. He has shown us his purpose to bring glory to his name. He has given us His promises that He is with us. He has given us the Holy Spirit. He has promised to be with us. So we know that whatever happens in life, God is going to get glorified and we have the opportunity to share the gospel. God will lead us. He will reveal Himself to us in the Holy Spirit as we seek Him because God is relational. So we start with the fact that our God reveals himself and he reveals himself in relationship do you notice that God does not rebuke Abraham for asking nowhere in verses 22 through 33 does God say Abraham that's enough nowhere does he say Abraham how dare you question my plan nowhere does he say Abraham of all the impudence you could have no God converses with him because our God at his very being is relational that's why we believe in the Trinity Father Son and Holy Spirit one yet three working in relationship for eternity who have been in relationship loving relationship throughout all of time so our God is not like the stone idols who are deaf and dumb. God converses with us. He is accessible. Let that be a word that resonates in your hearts and minds this morning. God is accessible to you. You can talk to God. Ann Graham Lotz in an interview that was done in 2008, I believe it is, was talking about her relationship with her earthly father, Billy Graham. And she said, it's amazing still the number of people that would come to Billy and Ruth Graham's house in Black Mountain, pull up to the gate and say, Billy, this is Mark. I've watched you on TV. I've, I've su supported your ministry. Do you mind if I come in and visit with you for a little bit? And she said, as hard as it was, of course, he couldn't open the gate to everybody. I mean, there'd be thousands coming. Imagine that at your house on a Sunday afternoon. But she said, the amazing thing is, is that every time I pulled up to the gate and I said, Daddy, this is Ann, the gate opened immediately. Why? It was Daddy. The gate has been opened for you and I to go to God through Jesus Christ. You and I have access to God through Jesus. He is the mediator who bridges the gap between us and our Heavenly Father. He is the great high priest who ever intercedes on our behalf so that you and I can approach the throne of God boldly. You do not need a priest or a preacher to go to God on your behalf. Now, I'm not saying you don't get others to pray for you. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. You 
have direct access to God. You can talk to the creator of the universe. You can talk to the one who put the stars into space. You can talk to the one who created humanity. You can talk to the one who saved your soul. And church, he will talk to you. He's relational. Now, there's a, a balance we strike in this. As sure as I say, we draw near to the throne of grace with boldness. That doesn't mean being foolhardy. Notice how Abraham strikes a balance in this. He is familiar with God, but he's not flippant. There's relationship, but there's respect. In fact, look at verse 32 again. As Abraham's going through this dialogue with God, if there's 40, if there's 30, I love verse 32. Now, now Lord, let not, don't, don't be mad at me. <laughs> That's what he's saying. God, don't get mad at me right now. But what if there's just 10? You see, I think part of this is emphasized by the fact we call God Father, Abba. Now, Abba means Daddy. It's a term of endearment. Jesus taught us to pray to God as Father. But in our relationship with earthly fathers, there's a familiarity, but a respect. That's the way God intended it. It shows us friendship, but yet also a respect. And our relationship with God is the basis for our prayers. So the basis of prayer, revelation, and relationship. Now we move to the importance of prayer. Our prayers matter. They make a difference. Although it has become cliched, we need to be mindful of the fact that prayer changes things. Prayer changes us. You see, the theological question comes about. If God is going to do what God's going to do, what difference does it make if we pray? I mean, God's sovereign. God has his plan. Do we change the plans of God? Well, the scripture would say our prayers make a difference in those plans. You see that here with Sodom and Gomorrah. God said, if I find ten, I will relent. Moses interceded on behalf of Israel when God said, Moses, I'm going to destroy Israel and start again with you. Moses prayed. God relented of that plan. He did not destroy Israel. God sent Jonah to Nineveh. Jonah, the reluctant prophet, and God said, preach to them that destruction's coming. The people of Nineveh repented. And the scripture says God did not destroy Nineveh at that time. 1 John 1, 9. Did you ever think about that? If we confess, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins. If we confess, God will judge sin. He has judged sin on the cross. But if we confess, it changes God's interaction with us. In each instance, as God is sought, He changes what He will do. But now this is very important. God is not fickle, okay? He's consistent. The changes that our prayers bring about will always be consistent with God's character. That's what Abraham points out here, okay? Look back, verse 24, or verse 25, I'm sorry. Lord, far be it to you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, 
So the righteous fares the wicked. Shall not the judge of the earth do what is just? So this is what Abraham's doing. He's saying, God, you're right to judge Sodom. Notice in these verses, Abraham never defends Sodom. He never says Sodom doesn't deserve judgment. Sodom is a wicked city that we'll get to in, in a few weeks down the road. He never defends Sodom. But in his mind is Lot. I really believe this prayer is based on the fact he knows his nephew and his nephew's family are in that city. And he doesn't want Lot destroyed. So he says, God, you're just. But you're also merciful. God doesn't deny that. God is just and merciful. So in accordance with that, Abraham is praying for God's mercy. He's saying, Lord, you are just and you will do what is right. So don't judge the righteous with the unrighteous. So God is not going to act in a way in accord to his character. Because is God merciful? Yes. Is God just? Yes. Abraham's not asking God to ignore sin here. That's not the point of it. He's not asking God to do something contrary to who God is. He's saying, Lord, show mercy in this case. It's a reminder to us that as we pray, our prayers are based upon God's character as He has revealed Himself in the Scripture. And it's a reminder to us to ask. James 4.2 says, You do not have because you do not ask. Then he says, sometimes you don't receive because you ask with selfish motives. You see, the approach I take is this. Lord, I'm going to lay my request before you. And Lord, if you say no, I'm going to trust you. But Lord, I'm going to pray believing. Because remember, this is relational. So as I pray, one, if my motives are wrong... My heavenly Father is gracious and he will correct me just like my earthly father did. Two, if God says no, I've come to know God and it increases my trust in him. And if God says yes, I will glorify him. So you see, we start this cycle. We have a relationship with God where we know God. We pray. We seek him. God says yes, he says no, he says wait, he works within us so that we come to know him more, which feeds our desire to prayer even more. Because we will never exhaust who God is. So we can't just hide behind a theological masquerade saying, well, God knows, so there's no need for me to pray. Yes, God knows, but it's relationship. That's like being married for 40 years and saying, well, I don't have to talk to my husband. He already knows what I think. That's not good. By the way, if that's the way you're thinking, please call my office. Healthy relationships call for communication. God invites us to have a healthy relationship with him in prayer. Trusting him. Knowing him. And that's why this morning I challenge you to make prayer a consistent practice of your life. The whole point of the parable I read earlier in the service in Luke 18 was that we don't have, we don't have to wear God down. You and I don't have to, to find God as one who has put up this hard-heartedness saying, I'm not going to listen. God is eager to hear. 
He invites us to come and pray. He's not like that judge. I think one of the areas that we struggle in the most, and this is speaking very generally, is setting aside focused time to pray. We take the command in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing the heart. So we pray while we're driving. We pray when we're working. We pray when you know, we're, we're out wherever. But do we really take 10, 15 minutes of uninterrupted time? Because let's just be honest. If you're praying while you're driving, I hope your entire focus is not on praying. Once again, it's good to pray while you're, and certainly if you're driving in heavy traffic, I know you're praying. But are we making it a practice to say, Lord, I'm setting aside 10 minutes in my day, no TV, no radio, no cell phone, just me and your word. And that may seem awkward at first. But I encourage you to put that into practice and to even pray out loud, to speak it. Now, I'm going to put in a plug here. If this is something that is grabbing your heart thinking, you know, I need to pray. Nathan Hartgrove is going to be leading a class on Sunday nights called Habits of Grace that will talk about prayer, scripture reading, and worship to help get into these disciplines. Now, I don't say this to guilt, guilt you. I believe in grace. There are mornings that become hectic where I don't get to spend the time that I want to in prayer because things happen. But you know what? I don't want that to become the norm. I want to come back and say, Lord, I need to know you. So that's my challenge to you this morning. Maybe just to start small, conversing with God. Ten minutes. And if that seems too much, five minutes. To say, I just want to hear the Lord and to see the great things that God will do. I want to ask you right now to bow your heads with me. As we stand to sing, the Lord may be moving your heart to make an even deeper commitment to say, Lord, I just need your help to pray. We all go through seasons where prayers seem to come easier where prayer seem to be, seems to be more difficult. And you may be in that season right now where your soul just feels dry. I want to reassure you that it happens to all of us at times. So your prayer this morning may just be to say, Father, bring rains of refreshment to my soul. To say, Lord, I don't desire to know you like I once did. Change my heart. This altar is open if you want to come and pray. Father, I thank you that you are accessible to us. I don't pretend to even understand the inner workings of your sovereignty and, Lord, how you accomplish your will. Father, all I know is this. You have invited us to come into your presence. To pray, to praise, to confess, to enjoy you. And Lord, I pray that you would move our hearts to desire that above all else. Father, you know what we need. So we ask you, O oh Lord, to work within us to accomplish your purpose. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.